I'm a grateful alcoholic. My name is George. George. I forgot the most important thing to say last week, that I don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody has that right or that authority. All I have is my experience as I've been through these steps in various different occasions. I always like to put that out first because I did not do everything in the conventional sense of the word uh, because of the people that were around me when I first got here. Um, you know, I walked into the rooms, I walked into the rooms and uh, I, I came to believe that I had an illness that uh, made me maladjusted to life and I was in full flight from reality and I drank because I liked the effect that alcohol produced. That's where I started when I walked in here and I was very delusionary, I was full of fear. Uh, I believed in a lot of powers greater than myself. I always talk about my three favorite powers. I love the Sikh tradition. Money, property, and prestige always diverted me from where I was supposed to be. And that's how I lived my life for many, many years before I got here. You know, and then they, you know, uh, those were the powers that I believed in. And then I come in here and you tell me my belief system is all warped and twisted and I need to let it go and start a new process. And then you ask me to make a decision to turn my own life over to care of God as I understood him. That's not what it says, but that's what I heard. It says as we understood him. It was as I understood him in my mind, and I was convincing you that there was no way that could be done. Uh, so my sponsor, in his infinite wisdom, because he was a pretty smart guy, asked me if I was willing to make a decision to turn my own life over to care of the steps. And when I said yes, and it's in our 12 and 12, I was told to go out and at once launch out on a course of action. I was talking about that last week, and my course of action was to go to every meeting and ask everybody how to do the perfect fourth step. I had a lot of fun last week coming in here and showing about 25 or 30 different fourth steps. The only thing I didn't tell you guys is that I did each and every one of those over the years uh, because I am still looking for the perfect fourth step because I still carry a lot of garbage. It's the onion effect that I like to talk about because uh, I was pretty rotten, like a rotten onion when I got here. And as we peeled away, there was a good core in there, but I could never get to it. You know, so that brought me up to this point that we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. That is the fifth step of our program of recovery. Uh, there's a whole lot of things I can say about step five. I personally believe, that's why I put that disclaimer in right away, that we do it for three reasons. We go to God for forgiveness. We turn around and go to ourselves for the understanding of what we've done, and we get that look in the fourth step. And then we go to another human being to practice the big word that none of us like, humility. Uh, we talk about humility as being one of the principles behind the seventh step. Uh, it tells us in this part of our literature that humility is a word often um, misunderstood to those of us who have made progress in AA. It's a clear recognition of who and what we were by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. I love that definition because that tells you I knew what I was when I came in here. And I think most of us do. I was a low life that lived on the streets, that I used to have a great theory, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine, and if it's not, it would be. Uh, and that's how I lived my life for a long time. I didn't care who I hurt or how I got what I needed. So my life was pretty warped and twisted. I was restless, I was irritable, I was discontent. I lived in the four horsemen. All those things that the literature talked about identified me to a T. Now, I have all this stuff, and I did some crazy things when I was drunk. I mean... I'm from New York, and I lived under a bridge, and I had a lot of fun living under that bridge. One of the guys that is in this room told me they were in New York recently, and my bridge now has property. There's stores under that bridge. I, you know, that, that drives me crazy. Uh, my, my real estate went up. Uh, 
I came in here in 1994 and folded that cardboard box I lived in, and I'm real grateful for that. And I always talk about my last Christmas cutting out uh, out of that cardboard box a set of lights that I stole from a Woolworth on 49th Street and 7th Avenue. I walked in there, and I had money in my pocket. I was making about $1,600 a week for 28 hours worth of work. I had the money in my pocket, but I had to go in and steal these lights. Now, that's part of the nature of my wrongs. I was a thief long before I was an alcoholic. I was a liar long before I was an alcoholic. I had a lot of inappropriate behaviors. It had nothing to do with my alcoholism. You know, I hear a lot of people come in here and blame their alcoholism for the way they behaved. There's a lot of things that I would have done whether I drank or not. There's a lot of behaviors I had that alcohol had nothing to do with. Alcohol may have made it more easy for me to behave that way and to act out in certain manners that I wouldn't have if I wasn't drinking. But those behaviors were there. Uh, I talk about my children a lot because they're a prime example of where I was, my alcoholism. Uh, I would leave my kids, take them to a bar, leave them in the car while I went and got drunk. I didn't know how to be a parent. I didn't learn that till I got here. had nothing to do with me drinking. Had, I had no li living skills. So I get to this fifth step. And it says, AA experience has taught us that we cannot live alone with our pressing problems and the character de defects which cause or aggravate them. We have swept the searchlight of step four back and forth over our careers and have revealed in stark relief those experiences we'd rather not remember. If we have come to know wrong thinking and wrong actions have hurt us and others, then we need to quit living by ourselves with those tormenting ghosts of yesterday gets more urgent than ever. We need to talk to someone about them. You know, there's a, Bill Wilson is very smart. His writings in uh, The Fourth Step, one of my favorite things is, talks about motives. It's middle, it's in the middle of the sexual inventory. And it says, first, it says we treat sex like any other problem. Well, if sex is just like any other problem, it's just another problem. And I was taught when I got here, the problem is never the problem. The problem has always been my attitude to that problem and how I handle it. Uh, and then a little further on, he talks about motives. If we fall short of a chosen ideal and stumble, does that mean we're going to drink? Some people will tell you so, but it's only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we're sorry for what we've done and ask God to take us to better things, we will be forgiven. But if our conduct continues to harm on others, we are going to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. That's on page 70. That, to me, was my beginning. Because my sponsor said to me, when I sat down with this fifth step, the one thing I'm going to ask you to do is be honest. I don't want you to over-exaggerate. I don't want you to minimize. I don't want you to embellish. I don't want you to manipulate. I want you to tell me the truth. Now, if you're an alcoholic like me, that is a tall order, uh, especially when I was new, because I couldn't tell the truth. My reality and my fantasy were so intertwined, I couldn't tell one from the other. So I needed the guidance of a loving sponsor. So now I'm here, sitting here on step five, you know, wondering what I'm going to do with the lies I wrote down, because most of them, I don't even know if some of those things happened. It's like my sponsor and I talked about in step five, and I'm going to give my experiences. There's a whole lot of them that I have. Uh, one of the experiences, my father was never around. Now, my father was never around because he had three children and a wife that he had to support. He held down two jobs, and he was busy working. That's not what I saw. What I saw is, I don't love you 
but I love your sisters. That's the message I got. That's not the message that was given, but that's what I heard in store. And that's how I believed my life. My mother was in and out of hospitals. I was taken care of by my sisters and a woman that came in. Again, I was abandoned by my mother. The thinking that I had was not the reality. So what I had to learn is that there's a difference between my truth and the truth. And the truth I can't see clearly. I need the guidance of a loving God and I need a sponsor or a spiritual guide to help me see what the real truth saw. And they were told me there was only one truth they needed to know in all of AA, that I couldn't drink safely. And that's a real important truth for me. Because if that's my truth, that I know it not in my head but in my heart, that a drink won't make anything any better, and I know I can't do this safely because I don't know where it's going to take me, I might be able to get away with it. I'm not one of those that know that, and I'm not one of those that try to experience that. I'm one of those that believe if I go out, I may never get back, and I'm not willing to pay that price. So I will do anything to try and stay here. So that's the truth that I need to live, whether it's true or not. I may not even be an alcoholic. I believe my behaviors told me I was, but deep down I may not be. But I'm not willing to pay that price to go out and do some controlled drinking, as the book suggests, to find out that I am not. I'd rather walk through life believing I'm an alcoholic and dying because of this wonderful program and finding out I wasn't than walk through life believing I'm not and going out there trying time and time again to prove that I'm not and coming in here broken over and over again because one day I may not get back here. And I'm not willing to pay that price. So that's what my fifth step taught me. My truth is not the truth. And sometimes I don't know what the truth is. Only God does. And sometimes I need his assistance through loving people that sit in a room like this that help me with that. So now I'm in this fifth step and I have this 28-page immoral inventory that I wrote. And I'm walking into step five with a whole bunch of character defects that I didn't know I had. I had a loving sponsor that pointed out 165 things that he saw wrong with me that I said, you're talking about somebody else. And he said, absolutely, this is you. And they all come down to one thing, fear. It's all fear-based. But it's driven by 100 forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, and all kinds of other forms that I create. And some of them have nothing to do with my drinking. So I walk into this fifth step with a whole bunch of negative principles that I'm living by. I'm living by my ego, which is definitely getting me drunk, because there's no God in that. I'm living by aggravation. I have all kinds of wrong thinking going on. I'm terrorized with fear. I'm tormented by everybody in my life who's not behaving the way I want them to and telling me how I should be living when they don't know what's going on in my great brain that was really warped and twisted. I had a lot of wrong actions. I was reluctant to this program. I'm here on the fifth step, and I'm still fighting. Um, I was overdramatical of what went on. My ex-wife would, uh, I called the house on certain holidays to speak to my kids and my ex-wife would say no and I would go on a rant and my sponsor would say, well, what did you do to deserve to speak to them? You know, I needed to hear those kind of things because I wasn't doing anything except not drinking and creating all kinds of havoc in their life still even though I didn't speak to them five years before I got here. All of a sudden, that became important. Everything became important because I stopped drinking. Uh, I was still full of distress. I was still stuffing everything that was going on inside. I couldn't bring it out and tell you what I really felt or what I really thought. Um, I still kept a lot of secrets. I was still skimping on the truth. I was kind of 
minimizing it. It wasn't as bad. The things I've learned since I've been here, things are never as bad as I tell you they are and never as good as I make you believe they are. There's somewhere in the middle is that's where I got to find that truth. Um, I was full of anxiety. I was irritable. I had a lot of remorse. I still carry some of that, although it's not to the degree it was because I've done a lot of good actions to get rid of that remorse. But there are some things I really regret that I did, and it had nothing to do with drinking. Some behaviors that I had that were really not good behaviors. That's between me and my maker when I see him. And I know that today. I had depression. I uh, was concealing a lot of things. I was full of sin. To me, sin is a great word. It means anything that's selfish in nature. So I was full of everything selfish in nature. Uh, I was looking for validation. You women were my answer to that one when I walked in the rooms. If you were pretty and you were cute and you had less than 30 days and I had 60, you looked real good to me. Uh, I'm here 15 years. If you have less than 30 days, you still look good to me, but I know not to go there. I had good sponsorship. And you know what? I still am attracted to the dis-ease, the uncomfortability of people in their own skin. And not that I'm looking to be a predator. I just want to try and fix them. Another one of the things that was inherited by my family, take care of those. Like my sister took care of me, like my mother tried to take care of me, and that's those things that I get to work on through other steps. Uh, there was a lot of personality flaws. I was very destructive. Um, I had uh, isolation going on. I was lonely in the rooms of alcoholics. And it was one of the worst things and one of the most devastating things I think any alcoholic can go through is untreated alcoholism in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the most devastating thing to watch. Someone who's in there who does not want to surrender and is miserable in the rooms of AA and the tools are right in front of them and they refuse to pick them up or they think they have a better idea. Until I made that surrender to that, I was miserable in here. Um, I felt different. I still had cravings. Um, I still said barriers. I was terrified. I had uh, felt apart from everybody. I was full of feelings. I had a lot of deficiencies going on. Self-pity, ah, one of my favorite defects of character. It's such a comfortable feeling. Uh, I, I, I know this is a meeting that I don't like to use language, but I was told self-pity, the difference between shame and guilt is like uh, very simple for me. Shame is a nice warm feeling like if I go to my bathroom in my pants, I've, and I've done that many a time before I got here. It's a nice, warm, comfortable feeling. The shame is when I stand up and show it to everybody in the room. And that's that self-pity. I like to ooze in that. It makes me feel comfortable because I want somebody to make it all better and, you know, take away that pain. That's just the illness that I have. Uh, uh, the grandeur, the wishful thinking, the self-delusion, the self-deception, the self-pity, as I talked about, the guilt, the remorse, uh, the exaggeration of how bad people treated me. My shortcomings, my list that my sponsor gave me. <laughs> the anger. Now, I don't know about you. I didn't know about anger. I am so grateful I learned I could be angry because for me, it was rage. When I learned that anger was a stopgap before rage, I had something that I could control that. And what I learned about anger for me, and this is only for me, is that anger is a warning sign that something's not right inside just like a lot of my other defects are. It's nothing to do with anybody else. It has everything to do with me. And anger is always misdirected. I don't have a right to that behavior because it's very hurtful. At least that's for me. Uh, the hurt pride, the justification, the deluded thinking, and the contempt. 
prior to investigation. And that's that spiritual experience in the back. That's how I lived my whole program when I got here. Contempt to anything anybody told me. The defiance and the delusion that I lived in. So the fifth step is not called into thinking. It's called into action. And the action I had to take was to sit down with another human being and tell him what was really going on. And I wasn't sure what was really going on. And this, again, is where I believe good sponsorship is very important. Because my sponsor was able to pull stories out of me that I didn't know. I sat right over here on the beach up on Palmetto Park from 9 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in, in the afternoon. And then I went to have dinner with my sponsor when I did my fifth step. And what I learned on my fifth step is I did not have a great relief. What I did is I was scared to death he was going to go and tell everybody what he heard. Some of the things I did were legally binding to put me in jail. And I was afraid that's where I was going to end up. I thought he was going to go in the room because I heard many people do that already. And I've seen that done in the rooms of AA. Now all of a sudden I gave out everything that was so bad. And here I was scared to death. Worse than I was with the stuff I was carrying. Because now somebody really knew. One person knew the whole truth. Um, it requires the action. The action was to trust another human being. I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, like my sponsor made it real simple. You know, George, if I put enough of your friends together, I'm going to get the whole story anyway. Because I would tell someone over here one thing, somebody over there something else, my friend Dave in the back something, uh, Gene something. And if you put enough of you guys together, you'd be able to know the whole truth. But I didn't believe you guys could see through all that BS, and that's what it was. A lot of, a lot of uh, delusionary stuff that I put up so you couldn't get to know me because I was afraid you weren't going to like me. You know what I've learned about my fifth step and listening to a lot of fifth step, that there's nothing in these rooms that somebody in these rooms has not already done. There is nothing new in AA. Uh, my biggest fear is, and I shared this last week when I talked about the fourth step, was about the, uh, the uh, abuse that I had when I was raped by two men dressed as women when I was seven years old. Uh, watching my grandfather die and watching my family freak out at the cemetery. I still don't do cemeteries. Uh, I have some trauma with that. I cut my hand in 2001. I still don't do good walking down in Home Depot uh, down by the circular stores. I just don't do good with it. It just still triggers some of those negative emotions that I have. And no matter how healthy I think I am, I'm still a human being with human frailties. And my fifth step started showing me that, that I wasn't perfect, but I wasn't imperfect in God's eyes. And anything I did, somebody did. So there's a solution to any problem that I thought I had. You know, I was sober six months, and I was asked to give my children up legally, and uh, I freaked out. And uh, Ben T. asked me what kind of custodian was. I always tell that story. And, uh, and uh, I, the, I, I wasn't a good custodian. I, it took me a long time in AA, six months. Long time for me was six months uh, to figure out that I wasn't a good father. I was an absentee parent emotionally. And then when I learned that, A got very real. And that, that was a very important lesson in that. Because when I sat down with my fifth step, not only was I an absentee parent, I was an absentee son, I was an absentee worker, I was absentee in every area of my life. I could not show up for life. And here I am telling somebody all this, and I'm feeling more empty and more empty and more... I didn't know what was going to happen. But what I was realizing, when I did my fifth step, when I finally finished it, uh, when I finally finished it, the one thing I did know is I did a third step. And that's when I started talking about God. You know, it talks about that in our, in our big book. Uh, 
It tells us the more, more than most people, alcoholics lead a double life. The inconsistency is made worse by the things we do on sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted by certain episodes he very vaguely remembers. These memories are nightmares. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Uh, I'm a stuffer. I'm a stuffer in Arona. You know, people say I break out in handcuffs. I used to say I break out in spots. You can find me in New York, Chicago, California, because I would run because I didn't want anybody to know what was really going on. And when things calmed down wherever I ran from and I made enough chaos somewhere else, I'd run back. And that's the way I lived my life for many years. So, you know, the psychiatrists, and in the big book it talks about this, we have seldom been uh, told them the, the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Uh, I was sent for some help more than once because I was one of those kids as a kid, I liked to light fires. Uh, one of those things I liked doing. Uh, just wasn't the right thing to do in schools, uh, especially when there were students in there. You know, that's the things I did as a child. Uh, Fire is one of those things that still fascinates me. I just don't walk around starting fires anymore. Uh, I, don't, I don't walk into stores and, and get into the kind of chaos that I used to create because that's what I did with those behaviors. And those were the natures of my wrongs that I got to sit and talk with somebody and find out that a lot of those behaviors was done by my sponsor and the people that I was around, and they understood me like nobody else could. Because when I would sit down with a therapist, I would tell them, well, my mother didn't do this, or my father didn't do that. I was trying to minimize my inappropriate behavior. And that was what my fifth step let me know, that these behaviors, some of them were learned, some of them was to be part of a group. I talk about the uh, set of caps that I sold at a Woolworth when I was seven years old to hang out with the older kids, and I got caught. And my neighbor saw it. And my neighbor used that against me all the time. Go to the store for me or I'm going to tell your mother that you were stealing. Yeah. Got me to do a lot of things for her. An old lady, an old lady. Had a tremendous resentment for many years. But that discolored my world. And those discolorations as a child, because I wasn't able to communicate with my parents what was really going on, the abuse that went on and not able to communicate, it discolored my world and that became my reality. And it's an ugly place to live. But when I got here, to know that God had forgiven me through this process of sitting with another human being gave me an opportunity to become somebody different. I was allowed to start rebuilding that person that I wanted to become. Um, it goes on to sell, it goes on to talk, uh, tell us in the big book that we're hard on ourselves but considerate of others. See, I had that backwards too. I was hard on everybody else and considerate of me. Uh, I was being hard on my, my mother and my father, you know, my fourth step was all about what they did. It was really hard for me to see my part in it, although I wrote my part in it and I minimized it. My sponsor was kind enough to drag it out of me and get the real truth out of that. Uh, it talks that when we, uh, it says we pocket our pride. Now, that's a big one. I don't know if any of you guys got pride like I had. And I thought I had pride all all wrong when I got here. I had this pride that I walked in here and now I'm in here doing a fifth step and uh, I'm sitting and talking to this guy and I'm telling him about all these wonderful things that I did and, you know, and I'm proud of the behaviors. And he says, you know, George, most normal people don't behave that way. You know, I, I, I think of uh, the, the Christmas time, uh, my first Christmas, 
And I walked into my mom's house, and I had, wasn't allowed to go there alone. My sponsor suggested I bring somebody from the program. And I had to go to the bathroom. I legitimately had to go to the bathroom. And I walked in the bathroom, and I opened up the medicine chest, and I looked at all the bottles that were in there, and I counted all the pills that were in there. And I was very proud of myself that I didn't take any, and I closed it, and I immediately walked out into the kitchen, opened up where my mother kept the liquor, because I knew where it was. And as soon as I opened it up, I picked up a bottle of vodka and said, I don't do this anymore. I'm in recovery. And I put it in there and I went home and I was so proud of myself. There's that pride. I called my sponsor. He suggested I go to, uh, to the, uh, right around the corner from where I live. There used to be a, uh, a pawn shop and get a 38 and buy one bullet and just put it in there and play Russian roulette because that's what I was doing. And here I was looking for an attaboy for something I shouldn't have been doing. And, you know, the Christmases that I didn't drink when I went over to the family and they, and they drink because they're not in the program that I would talk to him and I would want that pat on the back. That was all part of my fifth step because I was looking for a pat on the back for a behavior I should have been doing all along. And I didn't see the warped perception I had without the help of a sponsor. Um, so it was very, it was very tough on me. Uh, what do we receive from the fifth step? There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of promises in the fifth step. Uh, one of the things I like to talk about is our instincts in conflict with everybody that caused them harm. Uh, I know, we, you know, we're talking about the fifth step. I created enough harm to everybody around me, my family, uh, my jobs. I created harm to a lot of people, and I never saw it. And, you know, there's a great saying that I like. Uh, it says, uh, we don't see what we need to see until it's time to see it, and we don't hear those things necessary for us to hear until it's time for us to hear it. I can hear the same thing in this room over and over again, week after week, and not hear it, and all of a sudden, it's like the first time I ever heard it. I can read the big book over and over again, and all of a sudden, something that I've read time in and time out sticks out and hits me like it never did. I was ready for a fifth step with the man that I did it with. That is what I know, my first one. Um, it says we're either shy and we did not draw near others or we have to be noisy good fellows, craving attention and companionship but never getting it, at least to our way of thinking. There's always the mysterious barrier we can never surmount nor understand. There were so many barriers when I got in here. Like I said, the problem was never the problem. The problem was my attitude to the problem. My attitude to the problem is I didn't want to surrender my old thinking. And that's what it was about for me. Until I let go of my old ideas, absolutely. That was tough. Because I had some really good ideas, let me tell you. It's, it's still, sometimes I think back to some of those ideas and I wondered how I even made it as long as I did in this program. Uh, but I know it's the grace of God today that kept me here. I didn't know that at the time. I came up with these great ideas. Well, I'm in the program. It would be all right. I'm not drinking. Can I go sell drugs so I can make some money because I can't get a job because I ran out? You know, that was the insanity that went on between my ears when I got here. And my sponsor suggested, no, go to work at Denny's and be a busboy. $2 an hour. He said, that's all you need. God will take care of the rest. Little things like that I needed to hear. Uh, when we reached AA for the first time in our lives, we stood among people who seemed to understand the sense of belonging was tremendously exciting. You know, I walk into a meeting and I see the second tradition working. I believe there's a loving God and I see him work through others all the time. And that's what brings me back on a regular basis. And that loving God is really important to me when I get into my fifth step because I felt very unlovable. 
and I didn't like me, and I didn't like you, and I didn't like men, and I didn't like women. I had a whole lot of reasons for all that nonsense. But that's what it was, nonsense. The lies I told myself. You know, the big book says he sold himself on an idea. If he could only put a little milk in with his whiskey, it would be okay. I sold myself on a lot of ideas that were as insane as that thought. The inability of the proportion to think straight. This is the one place that I have another human being that can help me and direct me to think straight, clearly with an open eye, and knowing that I'm being loved into it. And I didn't do well with that I'm being loved into it stuff when I got here. Uh, it says, uh, we, and we talked about uh, humility, that, mis- that word that's mi- often misunderstood. Um, that's a big one for me because <coughs> my definition of humidity, humility came out of this step. Uh, you know, and, we, and, there, and there's a whole bunch of promises we talk about in the fifth step. Uh, the best set of promises, I believe, are in the, uh, is in the fifth step. And it talks about us coming into a fifth step, sitting down with another human being, and finding that our fears fall from us. We can look the world in the eye. I mean, those are pretty strong promises. We're at perfect peace and harmony for we're starting to know our creator better. Those are promises of the fifth step. You know, we talk about nine-step promises. There are some very powerful promises uh, that are in the fifth step. Uh, it tells us, you know, it tells us, uh, provided you hold nothing back, your sense uh, will, of relief will mount from minute to minute. The damned up emotions of years break out of their confinement and miraculously vanish, and they assume, as soon as they are exposed, the pain subsides, healing tranquility takes its place, and when humility and serenity are so combined, something else of a great moment is apt to occur. And it says that many of the people that were agnostic or atheists at this point started talking about God. I will tell you, it's after my fifth step that I started talking about God as good orderly direction. I'm still having a problem with that word. I will tell you today I talk about God as a a, a very personal thing that I have grown to understand. And it is through the process of the fifth step that it started opening that door. The contempt started to vanish. Uh, I wanted to be more willing to go forward. Uh, The feeling of being at one with God and man, this emerging from isolation through an open and honest sharing of the terrible burden of guilt brings us to a resting place. We prepare for the following steps. By doing a fifth step, you know, I talked in the... uh, I, I talked about going into that fifth step with all these negative things that were there. Well, when things see the light of day, through the, through the guidance of God, because when two or more are gathered and God is there, wonderful things really do happen. I, I can tell you uh, there's a, c- a couple of people in this room that I sat and I watched walk in these rooms. And there's people that watched me walk in the rooms and watched the growth that goes on. There's wonderful things that happen when God's in, in, in right around us and we see that growth. But what do I get out of a fifth step? What positive things did I get? I mean, I walked in there with all that negative stuff. That negative stuff turned around in my fifth step. And what turned around is I started to have a desire for humility. I wanted to be more humble. I wanted to learn to be a better person. Uh, I was looking for the progress. I can see where I came from and start to see how much I started growing in this process. Uh, And I saw the process for the first time. I started recognizing my character defects for what they were. Flaws in my character. Not for something that somebody did to me anymore. That was a big one. Uh, The sincerity that... Two people, when they're there with God, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, then I got to practice these things, and I became a little bit more practical. I had a little bit more of, of an objective look at what was really going on. It wasn't slanted that, what am I going to get out of this anymore? It was, now what can I bring to somebody else? 
the honesty grew. Honesty is a process, like most of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, I got more tolerant. I was much more realistic. I was more reflective. I got a lot more truthful. Like my sponsor said, when I got here, if it's not true, don't say it. And if it's not yours, don't take it. Very simple to say. Very hard to do when you knew. Uh, I learned what, how to ask for help and really mean it. Not that I was just doing it so I would say, can I have your phone number? Now if I ask somebody for their phone number, I usually make the phone call. That's uh, a big change. I learned to be forthright. I've learned a lot about acceptance at this stage. I started accepting me for who and what I really was. And I didn't like it. And I knew that they told me I could change it now. And I had to act my way into good thinking instead of trying to think my way into good acting in step five. I became a lot more fearless. I uh, was not afraid to go to counsel, speak to others, and ask for help. I became more genuine. I asked for guidance. I started getting virtues. Some good things started emerging out of my fifth step. Uh, I learned more about facts, and I had a lot of peace of mind. You know, our fourth step says there comes a point where we now match serenity with the calamity. Uh, most of the calamities fell from me in that fifth step. There was nothing that major that God and I and another human being couldn't meet head on. But there was everything that I couldn't meet head on by myself. I had started learning. I could not use self-reliance. Uh, I learned a little bit about, cent uh, about being centered and a lot more about spirituality. I started getting insight some uh, disclosure. I got more understanding. I became more trustworthy to people around me. They trusted me with other things. They gave me things like being a trusted servant of a group. Holy mackerel, what a concept that was. Uh, they gave me a key to a room. Nobody would give me a key for my first year around here. They gave me a key to a room to go make coffee. I felt very important. That was one of the things my fifth step gave me. It made me be a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, a very strong part. Um, I learned about the grace of God in the fifth step because he had a lot of grace. Um, I became more willing to go forward, as I said. I learned about understanding, love, and belonging. I learned about discovering, because I was discovering more about myself. By the uncovering, I was discovering. I was starting to discard those things that were of no use anymore. And I really learned about what it meant to start recovering. Um, I was able to listen. I learned about kinship and forgiving. I learned about inventory and morality. I didn't have morality until I got attached to that. I learned a little bit about confidence and experience and temperament and choice. And I learned that um, how to confine in another human being. The one thing I swore I'd never do is trust another person. I, was, I, I had to keep those secrets. And I learned that if I think it and feel it, if I don't bring it out in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's going to take me out. I learned that I couldn't keep any more secrets because that's as sick as I would stay. And this is where they get to see the light of day. I learned about exposing it. I watched the miracle within myself and others as I do it. This step was, was done with me and as I do it with others, I see miraculous things happen. I watch people change right on the spot. And that's only by the grace of God. That's one of the greatest things. I learned about sincerity and faith and unity and patience and about rest and meaningfulness, and most importantly, I learned about companionship and trust. Two things I did not have when I got here. So I look at the part in Bill's story, and there's a part that says, my schoolmate and I. Uh, it says, my schoolmate visited me, and I fully acquainted him with my problem and my deficiencies. We made a list. My sponsor and I made this list. Even though I wrote all that work, we made a list. And that was of the people that I hurt and whom I, was, whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admitting my wrong, never to be critical of them. 
considerate of others, hard on myself. A little different than when I walked in here, instead of hard on you and considerate of me. Um, never was I be critical for them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. And the only way I was going to be able to do that was to go forward from step five into step six. And we are going to talk about next week character defects. I thank you for your time and your patience and letting me share on step five.